Here's the big question. Quick in the game podcast. If you're looking to change your family tree, redefine an industry, reach new limits, or live an unconventional life, how are, how are you setting yourself up to guarantee this will happen? This podcast is going to cut through all the cliche, cookie cutter, and conventional recommendations about finance, business, and life, and give you the tips you need to get the outcomes you want while playing your game. I'm Dan Nicholson, and this is, is, is the Rigging the Game podcast. Rigging the Game Justin and Michelle, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Really uh, excited to chat with you both today. Yeah, likewise. You guys are the, uh, the first uh, couple to come on the show. So uh, congratulations, I guess, <laughs> on that. It's and the first Canadian couple. We, we got to have something that we can hold on to long term because you'll have other couples, but they're not going to be Canadian probably. That's, that's yeah, you're setting a, a high bar out of, out of the gate. Yeah, first couple, first... Also, first Canadians as well, and first Canadian couple. So you've got it on multiple, multiple levels. Uh, so we've known each other for, for uh, I guess, a couple of years at this point. And uh, we'd love to sort of jump into your guys' story. So your expertise is in, is in video and social proof, but uh, you're more than that to me, <laughs> of course. Uh, how did you uh, how did you discover that you wanted to uh, to get into video and, and and social proof and kind of storytelling really? It's a a long road. So we met in school. So in university, which in Canada is like the equivalent of like college in the United States. Really yeah. cliche. It was in our photo one class. <laughs> like <laughs> introduction to photography. That's and and that actually while we were photographers for a long time before transitioning into video and where we are now, I think the, the photo class in particular was one that really challenged us to question why things are looked at the way they are or done the way they are. And I like, I have a very specific memory and Michelle's like tired of hearing this, but there was a, a particular project that we had to do. And it was a very long, like we would, we would do projects for a long, like months and months and months. And then at the end of these months, we would, you know, put our pictures on display and then everyone could give us feedback and critique. And this was not positive or usually constructive. Like it was, it was constructive feedback, but it wasn't like way to go. It was like, you know, you got some stuff to work on. Yeah. Here are all and the things was, that are terrible about this <laughs> yeah, project yeah. you worked months and months on. And so I would, had been working on this project and I was so proud of it because I was like, simultaneously we were doing graphic design. And so we we're all just like aesthetics and things that look pretty and balance and shapes. And, and so I was just so pleased with this project and I got up there and I put it on display and, and our uh, professor just like completely tore it apart. And she was, it was literally just, it just came down to this idea of like, something is pretty with no substance why should that like that doesn't really need to exist in our day and age like we're past that and that really led me personally to go down this journey of like the why and this is way before simon sinek and all that stuff like this was literally just like like any decision that i make in life like why and if there isn't a why and i can't like naturally connect with it then i'm not gonna do that and so that led us to where we are today in a long way. I mean, that was like 14, 13, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's like, literally, it's the guiding principle for us now. Any decision we make, why? Like, is this something that is gonna, you know, drive our ego? Is this something that's actually gonna help our family? Because we're big family people, we've got two kids. Is this something that is gonna pay off in five years, 10 years, 20 years? And I think that that's kind of the backbone to social proof and video and storytelling is that purpose. Like it has to, ha for us to be fulfilled, satisfied, motivated, all the things that you want to be as a business owner, like there's got to be something behind it or else I'm not going to do it. And where this all started um, and really hit home is what Justin didn't mention is back in those photo days, we transitioned straight into, we're actually professional wedding photographers for a bit before video and before we've come as far and where we are now. And there's a lot of really rigid expectations for what 
wedding photos are or for what wedding videos are. And people have these expectations of it needs to look pretty. You need to have these shots. This is what it is. And it felt really cold. And we just, it was hard to connect with, okay, these are pretty, but who's going to care about these photos in 10 years from now? Or who's going to care about these videos in 10 years from now? It's just going to look pretty. And that's kind of what propelled us down this path of, I don't care about pretty photos, but I care about who these people are. And what is the story that this is telling? And why and their does, experience. Yeah, their experience. Why does this matter? Why does this matter to them? Why does this matter to anybody who's going to want to see this? And that's kind of how Justin in particular was able to start standing out. I don't know if he'll say this, he's a little humble, but that's how Justin was able to start moving ahead and getting this unique perspective in this industry and multiple industries was looking at things not in terms of being pretty, but why is this important? Why would anyone care? So in terms of when you got this comment from, I guess, the, was it a professor who said that uh, we need something more than just pretty or pretty with no substance? Uh, was that in this photo 101 class that you got that feedback? Yeah, that was either 101 or 201. That was Louise and two. It was two, yeah, two. Okay, so pretty early on in your, your college career. Yeah. And you guys are dating at this point or you met in the photo 101? Met in photo, we were probably dating at that point. Yeah, that point. You didn't yep. use that as your pickup line. You didn't say, Michelle, you're pretty and you have substance. <laughs> I, I don't, but she actually picked me up. So I can't, I can't be the guy that like claims that. Really? It was art school. There's a very- <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa. Watch my ego here. She's, just, she's about to say there wasn't a lot of choices. I know what's happening right here. There was- Continue, Michelle. Continue. Two guys <laughs> in a class of 25 students. Oh, man. So there it is. A friend of mine and myself, <laughs> who we just met that first week at school, walked into this class and said, there are a lot of, basically, there's a lot of estrogen here. We need to balance this out. And so we went to the two guys, Justin and Marco, an old friend of ours, and said, you're going to be our friends. <laughs> and it just stuck. <laughs> well, I really can't get rid of her. It's been like 15 years now. She's still here. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <still my> friend. <laughs> well, uh, what it says is that the... Uh, the odds weren't great for Michelle, so that means that that uh, there's a high st- high st- You are the, the the top pick, Michelle, from the. Uh, there you from go. The, right? so you're crushing my ego, and he's building yours up. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you finish you finish uh, art school, and you go into wedding photography. So right out of the gate, you're basically an entrepreneur. In so school, was, like in literally school. in college, we had, I had my own business. Okay. Was that always an itch that you had? I could not work for other people. So partially because of that, I mean, my mom is an entrepreneur. She's owned her business her whole life. My brother's an entrepreneur. Uh, and there's that, like we're, we're just bred into that idea. But at the same time, I also saw my dad who worked for the government and was miserable. And uh, he put in his whole life for a, you know, a pension and to make sure that we were taken care of, but he was never happy working. And part of the reason he wasn't happy working is just, you know, when you work for the government, there's a lot of decisions that are made that are just dumb. Like, you're just like, how, like, how does this, like, who signed off on this? But then you realize it's kind of like decision by committee. It's no one really wants to stick their neck out because, you know, like why they're just going to get like fired and no one's really going to care about that issue. And so I just recognized very early that there's a lot of things in this world that are done just just cuz and when I had my early jobs as a you know a teenager you know working the t- the typical jobs like I got really frustrated with people asking me to do things that were just dumb like why is this done the way that it is done like this makes no sense I could do it better and then you'd get like reprimanded like that's not the way we do it we do it this way and so when we got into photography and starting our own, like, it was just like a natural fit. Like I can't work for someone if I just, I can't, I just can't work for someone. Yeah. It, it seems like there was this buildup of based off your, your lived experiences going into art school that you were looking for something of meaning. In other words, you didn't want to just punch the clock and show up and, and go through the motions you saw your dad to some degree do that and, and not be fulfilled and just wondering if you f- going in to uh to art school you, f- you felt that 
Well, here's the funny thing. I actually got into college for computer science because my brother was a, uh, he's an engineer. He's very smart and he was making a ton of money at that stage. And so he went through college and was just making a lot of money. And, and I thought in my brain that like, if I do that, then uh, maybe that's like the path, like, cause he's doing things he wants and, and he's making money doing it. It's kind of, it's great. But what I didn't realize is that that was his why, like in the same way that like he was being fulfilled, I was not fulfilled. And it's because I was looking at it as a opportunity, not as like, like something that would be fulfilling. So year one of college before I ever met Michelle was in computer science and me almost fit failing to the point where like I was on my last leg meeting with the, uh, the Dean of the school and like saying like, this is your, this is your last chance. So like, you're going to get kicked out of university. And I switched because I was like, you know what, this is not me. What is me? And going back to what you were talking about is like, I've always been motivated by creativity. I've always been inspired. I've always just, <laughs> okay. Little kiddo in the background. It's perfect. I've always just, like, I, I, I was always motivated by something more fulfilling. And so I literally was like, you know what? Let's go into art because that was something that fulfilled me when I was, you know, through high school, through grade school. Like I was always like the art kid. And, uh, it was probably very, like most people would think like, why would you do that? Why would you like get into college with an incredibly high, you know, GPA because, you know, and get into like one of the best schools you possibly could for this and then not care to the point where you almost flunk out. And then just before you flunk out, switch to an art degree. Like there's not very many people who think like that makes logical sense, but it was like exactly what I needed. Michelle. Uh, how about your journey? Was it similar at all, or did you know that you wanted to go into photography and, and art from the get-go? This is perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> I probably should have said this from the beginning. I've got my uh, my daughter here who uh, has got a sick day, so every once in a while she's uh, coughing or uh, asking asking for stuff but you couldn't ask for any any better of a situation as two par <laughs> as parents with two kiddos like we we love this the idea that you can bring your kiddo to to work and take care of her and so yeah we talked about this a little bit uh before we started recording but one of the things that is important to me is that my daughters associate work with being something that is positive and fun rather than something like i have to do so uh Back to the, the original question before my daughter started asking if she could uh, color. Uh, when did you know you wanted to do photography and art? Uh, I didn't, actually. My path is much different from Justin. So both my parents are scientists. My dad's a nuclear engineer. My mom's a botanist. Biologist, not a botanist. Uh, and they're very science-driven, but encouraged me to be creative. And so when I graduated from high school, I literally had no clue what I wanted to do. I could do pretty much anything and I couldn't figure it out, but I always loved art. And so I thought I'm going to do this. I just thought I would give it a shot and go into art and see what happened. Now, what's interesting is unlike Justin's entrepreneurial journey, I, I'm not a visionary. I had a very hard time trying to take, if you give me a blank sheet of paper, I have a very hard time imagining like, what should this become? It's almost analysis paralysis. There's like so many options. So I'm like, well, I'm stuck. So I went into photography, not sure where I was going to go. And I actually thought I was going to go into curatorial studies, not to be a creative, but to help organize the creative. If that kind of makes sense. I wanted to wrangle the cats as it were. So it never worked out though. Because curatorial studies, there was only one class, and by lottery, I never made it into that class. So I kind of had, I was forced to figure out, well, what do I want to do if that's not the path I can take? Because I literally cannot get the credits for this based on luck. Justin started photography, and I was like, well, I'm really good at, at helping. And I don't want to belittle that in any way, because I think there's a lot of power in being able to organize and help build together what we were building. And so Justin started to go into photography and then 
I was in photography already, but building a business out of it. And I was like, I can help. I can help do this. Now, when Justin transitioned into uh, filmmaking, I'm not much of a filmmaker. And so I actually went into education for a bit. And that's where I've really built a lot of the behind the scenes on learning and studying about adult education, putting programs together that can help people learn in different ways. And that's where really I've come along with Justin, where he's got this great vision and creative expression and storytelling. And I like to be able to help transition that to people and make it the most convenient. How did your parents feel about the direction that you took given their, their science background, but at the same point being uh, encouraging about uh, you exploring the, the, the art side, the creative side of things? They loved it. There's, I know there's a lot of expectations around like, oh, scientists, they have these huge high expectations about what you can accomplish in applying yourself. My mom worked for the government, much like Justin's dad. My dad worked for ACL, which is nuclear power plant. You'd think that would have been perhaps what their track was, but my mom grew up painting. My dad loves music and photography, and that was how I always saw them expressing themselves. At the time, they would go to work, and work was very separate from what I was as a kid. It wasn't like what you have now where I- You can't bring your kids uh, to a nuclear <laughs> reactor. It's just not, just not something that is like socially acceptable. <laughs> I can imagine that. Very different safety precautions. <laughs> So what I always saw from my parents were them hiking and camping and expressing themselves through their painting and their photography and all of these different creative expressions that they love. So I actually kind of think they might've been living vicariously when they were like, go to art school. This is great. This is fantastic. I think you can actually build a career now out of the, I'm going to use quote marks, which not everyone will be able to see of being a starving artist. Um, Art is really just, as Justin mentioned, finding out why you're expressing yourself in some way. Yeah. So you finish, uh, you finish university, and at that point, do you continue on with the wedding photography, or have you figured out that there's not enough substance behind it? Well, what we ended up doing is just changing the board. We just changed the status quo of what wedding photography was, and so we stopped playing into what we thought we had to do went back to what we knew was possible and we ended up building a very successful wedding photography business. I mean, couples were paying us 12, 15, $20,000 to shoot their weddings. And it was because we were paying attention to who they were as a couple and not the, con the confines of what a, a wedding day actually meant. And we ended up attracting just an amazing group of couples, you know, designers, uh, attorneys, uh, medical practitioners, just like the gamut of people who were doing like their own lives were driven by this idea of like, there's, there's substance behind it. And so we kind of had this like amazing little niche and you're we traveling the world, taking pictures of people, of people. It just happened to be, they were wearing fancy outfits. Like that, that was like the wedding aspect. But at the end of the day, like we were literally just taking pictures of people. And so that was when uh, we started to get a little bit of notoriety and we ended up photographing a wedding for a uh, fellow production company uh, in the same kind of space. And they just really appreciated what we did and what we were about. And that just kind of morphed into us combining our companies and away we went into now doing photography and uh, that's kind of the beginning of video for me. Well, it's the beginning of video for a lot of people. That was when digital cameras started having really good video capabilities. Yeah. And so it just became a new storytelling medium that was really exciting and could express stories in a different way than photos could. Yeah, just to rewind back a little bit. So you mentioned that you changed the status quo and now you, you start finding yourself doing uh, these higher ticket weddings and traveling the world. What was the inflection point? How did, how did that happen? How are these uh, couples finding you guys? Uh, it's, it's amazing when you have, like what, going back to what Michelle shared earlier, it was really about the experience. And so we put a lot of emphasis in getting to know our couples and really capturing who they are. So, you know, there's a classic thing in photography where it's like, 
I'm going to use a wide angle lens so that I capture more of the scene, or I'm going to use a telephoto lens so that I capture like a more, you know, zoomed in area of the photo. And, and because our background in photography and understanding why, like we looked at like the psychology behind image making. And so we would get to know our couples and then we would literally apply psychology to how we were capturing their weddings. And then while we were doing that, we were making the experience one where we were literally becoming friends. And actually in some cases, I would say we knew more about the couples than the people at the wedding. Like not surface level, but like legitimately like why this couple exists as a unit, who they are as people, what, you know, what keeps them up at night? What, what do they love about each other? What are they most excited about? Like all the things that when you go to a wedding, like maybe a very small percentage of people know the rest are just like, there's just along for the ride of a wedding day. And so it was a very easy thing for people to refer and recommend us because their experience was so amazing. And then on top of that, when people would see our photos, they, they could feel like there was something of substance there that did not exist in, in the rest of, uh, in the rest of the industry at that time. And then the same, in the same thing, it's like our price weeded out people who, uh, you know, it just weeded out a certain part of the audience naturally who, what we realized is that there was also this negative effect. Whereas if we were too expensive and we started to get people who just wanted to hire us because we were the most expensive option. And so what we ended up doing is realizing like there's actually a sweet spot of, it's expensive enough that people have to invest into it. It's, it's not like a, an easy decision for people to make, but we are not so expensive that we were getting weddings that were like vanity weddings. Because what we realized is those, those couples didn't actually want to share their story. They, wanted to, they still wanted to be the pretty bride and the, and the fancy wedding, and we didn't want that. We wanted, we wanted the ability to take photos that maybe they weren't like, the prettiest cut like we didn't make them look pretty but we actually captured who they were mm -hmm. and that's not always the same i'm gonna fast forward to today Back to the substance piece yeah yeah sorry. I, wanna, I was gonna say i want to fast forward to today even because how that kind of manifests now is there's a lot of people that in business there's an expectation about what that business is or that service delivery is and it's almost like a checklist First I do this, and then I do this, and then I do this, and then it is done. Versus actually knowing your clients, getting invested in who they are, and understanding what they need as a service to succeed or whatever it might be. So it's that idea of like there's an expectation of the way things should be, which is fine. It'll get your business to a certain, a certain level. But to really enjoy your business and to really have a great relationship with your clients, it's like, okay, you got to take that checklist, but figure out like, why does that even matter? What matters to your client? And then transforming that into an experience that, that is useful, that is beneficial uh, to them and for where we are now. And that's why video, that's why we love doing what we're doing with video. You talked about social proof, you talked about, you know, helping businesses go live on video. It's like, well, why is this important to you? What is it you need to communicate? And how can you use that to build your business and attract the right people that aren't those vanity weddings, um, but that are invested in success? I think you just made a really important point around the idea of checklists. So a checklist makes sense as a starting point, but not necessarily the end point. If you're looking at, if you're doing an oil change, if your business is to do oil changes, then the checklist, you probably can go start to finish, right? because a car is a car and what is the make and model and you follow that that uh, process and the checklist is, is maybe slightly different for every make and model uh, the challenge with businesses and individuals and the fun of it is that every business and every individual is their own make and model which means that there's all these these nuances this is, sounds like you guys have really kind of figured that out uh, really early on in, uh, in your business, business uh, journey. Just to rewind again a little bit. Mentioned you like, stop skipping ahead. <laughs> I just want to say on a total tangent, we're dating ourselves a bit because kids these days have no idea what rewinding is. You just hit the play from beginning button. It now. is true. There is no rewind. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, I'll work on that. Um, this is a nostalgia podcast, actually. <laughs> 
rebranding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you mentioned you figured out the psychology uh, behind kind of uh, wedding photography. Would love to hear more about what you meant by that. Well, I think a lot of people just think surface level. This isn't just an image making, it's just in life. Like they just think like what they see is nice or not. And what I learned going back in that photo class is like, you know, there's, there can be a lot behind the scenes that's, that affects how someone experiences something or participates in something or feels about something. And we all bring a certain like human experience to life. And so the psychology of photography or filmmaking or anything, it's not just like, how do I make this picture look the best? It's like, what does this picture need to look like to make people feel the way that I want them to feel when they look at it? And then as soon as you kind of go down that rabbit trail, you start to just experience, you just experiment. And, and there are some general rules, you know, there's things that like, you know, this is perceived as pretty or this is perceived as balanced and so then you can like break them but there's also just things you figure out like the more you do something the more you realize like if I do this this is how people will feel about it and so for the psychology of like photography there's you have so many options to affect your viewers like it's just so many options and you know we were really when we started photo one or when you first get into like photo or video or any just art you're first just kind of like figuring out things like, like you're just like, if I do this, this is what it looks like. And then at some point, hopefully you go beyond that. And it's no, like you become really intentional about your decisions. And that, that was us. Like we were very intentional. Like we were not uh, the, the wedding photographers that would take tens of thousands or 5,000 photos and give the couples way too many options. Like we were the type of like wedding photographers that would maybe take, 500 photos and give them, you know, a couple hundred, but those photos would literally capture the spirit of the day. Like we were just very confident about that. We were the type of, of wedding photographers at the time that would in like invest time in getting to know who's at the wedding and like actually talk to your guests and understand like the dynamic of your family. Like your parents are separated and you're, uh, you're adopted or whatever it is like, and actually like figure out like, how can we capture what's happening in a really authentic and meaningful way? And I think it really just came down to just being like people driven, like psychology is really just like studying humans. Right. And we just combined the idea of what psychology, we're not psychology majors. Like my former business partners were, and you know, that was amazing. But at the end of the day, it's like, if you're just curious about people. I think it just, like you're just a better business person. Yeah, to a degree, you're talking about the essence of, of uh, when I think about rigging the game, which is what are the out, what is the outcome that you want from from this project, from your life, from this conversation that you're having, and when you're going into these uh, these shoots, this, you've got it's a wedding, so we can't like rewind it and go like, hey, uh, can you say your vows over again? Because I I missed the I missed that shot. You, you have one one attempt mm -hmm. and so it's it sounds like you've sort of built into your process from really early on this idea of really getting clear on what the outcomes are what are we really trying to capture and how do we go about creating that that outcome yeah ensuring that it, it happens it's funny it's uh you know being when i transitioned into video and we were working with agencies and brands and and massive companies, right? There's always meetings. And I don't know how many meetings I had to go into where there was clearly not an outcome that the other people wanted. Meetings. I go into a meeting and I'm like, this is what I want out of this meeting. Like I know exactly like what I want out of this meeting. And I would go into these meetings and know exactly what I want. And it's clear that these people literally were just meeting. Like it was just like, it was just a thing that they do. It's just like, we just meet. Yeah, our process is that we meet. Yeah. Like, and it just, again, that's a, a perfect example is like, if like the decisions you make as a business owner, like you set yourself up either to see, succeed or not before like things actually happen, literally just by, as you said, like the rigging the game outcome concept. Well, I know even from my perspective as well, where you're very much in the forefront and I like to keep everything organized and wrangled in the back as well. 
is, and I can say this because I'm that type of person, is you have to be able to embrace risk though and understand what you're risking and how you can make a calculated risk. Because when you have that checklist, it's very safe to follow that checklist. But to be able to experiment with each of the items on that checklist and say, how is this going to serve my clients? What can I do to actually make this better or more meaningful? It's not always easy to jump from that point. And I think about it in terms of when we're working with social proof, one of the big jumping off points, I'm going to, I jump back and forth my timelines here. Sorry about that. That's like, okay, to rewind a little bit. (laughs) I'm already prepared to rewind. But one of the very- I like all the specifics, that's all. (laughs) One of the very standard email templates that I would always see was, if you were happy with this service, click this link to leave a review. Which to me, that's like the basic check mark of I've asked my clients for social proof. I've asked asked them for a review. I can move on to my next item in my list. I can move on to the next item. But for me, I'm looking at that item going, okay, you can, is it going to risk the relationship though, or risk your time or whatever it is to approach that problem in a different way to say, okay, I want to get social proof. I want to celebrate my clients. I want to help build my business. How can I do this in a way that's actually meaningful and respects the relationship I have with my clients and actually gets results that are positive, but that means making a change and making a change means taking risks. So a lot of it just has to do with being comfortable working outside of your comfort zone, but doing it in a way that's really intelligent and knowing like this is, if this works, this is really going to be beneficial. And if it doesn't work, that's a risk I'm okay taking. Yeah. And the social proof uh, point, just to rewind back to that uh, <laughs> is it, it sounds like there, there's sort of two pieces to it. There's getting clear on the outcome that you want, but also being mindful of unintended outcomes to some degree, what I heard when you were saying, kind of getting getting this email that's part of this checklist that says, hey, here's the, uh, now now that we're in this part of the process, here's where I ask you for this, uh, this review, that uh, it can come across as kind of cold and transactional. And if you're trying to build a relationship with someone, then, then all of a sudden adding in these transactional elements is actually kind of destroying the relationship or degrading the relationship? I don't know if I would go so far as to say destroying or degrading, but for me, it was very much, I have a relationship. This comes in, it feels like a robot. I'm going to ignore it. I can ignore a robot really, really easily because it's just an automated email and it doesn't care if I don't respond. So it was, it's not, it wasn't a negative for me, but for me, when I saw those emails come in, I just didn't care as much as I care about the people I work with. And the one that triggered it was actually an architect we were working with who we had a great relationship with. We've been over to their house for barbecues. He's literally knew every nuance of our lives to design the interior of our home in a way that we'd want to live there forever. And then that kind of email comes in and it's just so off character and off brand that you're just like, ah, I can brush that to the side. It's not a big deal. It goes back to, I think the why, because Mm -hmm. I think you start a business and like, oh yeah, reviews are important. So I need to get reviews. Like, especially if you're like a local service provider. And you're like, oh, here's this tool that helps me get reviews. And it's so easy just to, again, checklist, right? I, got, I, have a, I now have an application that sends automated emails to get reviews. I'll get more reviews. But it really does go back to why. And I think every, it's frustrating, I suppose, but like everything that we do, it's just like, it's gotta have a purpose. And it's gotta work in favor of our, going back to the outcome. Like it's gotta work in favor of that or else it's just, it's just busy work or it's just, Uh, it could be damaging or it's just like, it's just not aligned. And I don't know about you, but like when something's not aligned or meaningful, like it doesn't really get done very well. But all of a sudden, if something like, like has a purpose and and like all of a sudden I'm excited and like I pour, I pour myself into this. Right. What the word that comes to mind or the term that comes to mind is, is cognitive load or cognitive burden, Mm -hmm. which is that, I experience this all the time where unknowingly I've added these things or unintentionally I've added these things that I have to do that at least I've made, made up in my mind. I have to, I have to do these, these things. And, but I don't actually want to do them because there's no purpose. It's not getting me closer to the things that I, I want. And then it starts to eat away at, at me over time where it's like, I'm doing all this stuff that I don't enjoy doing. And then there is this, uh, this sort of moment of reckoning if you're not being kind of mindful of it, of I'm doing all this stuff that I don't enjoy, that I don't want to do, that isn't getting me closer to my purpose. Uh, 
how do I, how do I adjust? How do I back away from that? And uh, so just being really clear on what you actually, actually want uh, is, is always key. Which is, uh, yeah, I mean, we, six months ago, we packed up our life in Portland and drove our kids across the country and moved back to Canada and set up a new, like we had to reset up our entire lives, businesses and everything. And it just goes back to like, what do you want out of this life? Right? Like we, we were very intentional about, we want our kids to live near grandma and grandpa and Nana and granddad and cousins. And, and uh, like the decisions we make now are, are very calculated. They're not, they don't just happen on a whim and someone like outside could look at them and think like, what are you guys doing? Like that is the riskiest thing you could have possibly done. And then to us, it's like, it's not at all. Like this is literally like how you should be operating your life. Like is based with attention, not just haphazardly going with the wind. It's still risky, still risky, but we're managing it. It's, you're doing it on purpose. You're doing it with attention. Yeah. Why do you say that it's risky? I'm curious to pick at that a little bit. I, well, I struggle a lot with change. <laughs> you just unearthed a rock, my friend. We're going to spend a lot of time here. <laughs> uh, I, I have a very hard time with change unless it's been charted and plotted and color-coded and ranked in a spreadsheet and I know what to expect and I know I'm going to get to that outcome. Yeah. When it, comes, when it comes to something in, I'm not, I'm going to say intangible, which probably isn't the right word, but when it comes to something intangible, like I want my kids to experience more of family. So we're going to move back to Canada. There's like literally there's too many steps to plot in there about everything that had to happen. And it's just, for me, it was very risky because it was, there's so many what ifs, you know, what if for the house sale, the driving across the country, shutting down our U S businesses, opening Canadian businesses, where are we going to live in Canada? What's, how are our kids going to adjust moving to an entirely different space? There's so many what ifs that for me, I felt a little bit out of my control. And that's what I dislikes so much about change is when change feels like it's out of my control, which is why I'm the, I like to organize incessantly because with that organization, I get to take back a little bit of control, but that's me. That's me in a nutshell and my risk averse, change averse nature. That's why I have Justin here to break me out of that. <laughs> As an outsider, in terms of from a business perspective, it seemed like if anything, you've, you've continued on this upward trajectory so did you feel like there was risk associated with uh, disrupting the business or more of these kind of personal or ex external factors that are outside of your control, like <laughs> selling real estate to some degree, it's outside of your control, the economy, where you, there's just, just factors that you can't necessarily uh, control. You can try to put your house in the best possible position to be as marketable as possible, but there still has to be buyers. Yeah, well, before we moved, I had just recently sold... Uh, my equity in my last company. And so uh, at this point, I've had four four companies. And so I've sold equity in three of them. And Not I think- including the wedding business or- uh, Yeah, it was a production company at one point. And then we had, um, we had splintered off a music licensing company from there. And that was acquired by another company. And then uh, the last company I had was also in the filmmaking space. And, you know, it was like a lot of change happening at one time where I was like, you know what, I'm not really, I, I, this isn't for me where that, where that company had been going. And uh, we were feeling the pressure of realizing like our parents are getting older. We want our kids to like spend more time with them. It was a very exhaustive process to get two kids to travel for six hours on a plane to go and you know you want to see your your parents more than once a year or twice a year and so it was just like a lot of things happening so I think that's probably where it was like risky uh, but at the same time I think we may not be it's not that we're going on an up and up tra trajectory to tra oh my gosh tra wow yes my brain that is one. just didn't work there <laughs> I think we're getting clear on clear on what we want out of this and so you could look at it and say like, I could have made more money if I stayed at that company, or I could have made more money if I didn't sell the equity when I did and, and the valuation went up and all of a sudden I had more money in my bank account, but I'm getting really good on removing things in my life that 
make me feel uh, either a burden or heavy or just things that may look good on the surface. Like someone looking in could say, wow, you had a partnership with them or that was your client. I can't believe you used to work for them. And then I think like it was miserable. Like I don't, that's, I never want that. And so what Michelle and I are like kind of building right now on paper, like it's way smaller than anything I've been involved in. Like my last company had 18 employees, like our monthly overhead was obscene. And so that was like a, that was a good ego stroke. Like to say like, I, I manage 18 employees, like look how cool I am. But the stress that managing 18 empl employees was like, I'm now responsible for 18 families. And as soon as they have kids, like I'm responsible for like 50 people. And if we have a bad month, like I don't, I pay everyone else before I pay myself. Like that's just who I am as a person. And like, that's a lot of stress to carry. And so like our, our little businesses now, like by all, by standards are small, but like, it's amazing. Cause like we get up, we get up, we work together. We have great clients. We uh, have great relationships and partners and it's like, it's freeing if that makes sense. Like we just have like so much less weight on us right now. Yeah. So I don't think we're up and up. I think like we're clearer and clearer, which maybe that's up and up, but by business definition, like I think a lot of people will, would have been more impressed with where we were than where we are, but our life right now has never been better. And yeah. just to be clear on that as well, when we were where we were, it looked great. It kind of looked great and it felt great. And it was like, we can manage the, like the stress or the feelings and we're going to get it to where we want to go. But looking backwards, just to play off the title of your podcast, eh, Dan? <laughs> it felt like we Wait, were- Wait, rewinding. Rewi looking backwards. <laughs> looking back now, it very much felt like we were rigging the game, but it was the wrong game. And so now where, we, where we're at, we're rigging the game that we actually want to be playing and the game we want to be in um, and where we're actually enjoying ourselves. And who knows, 10 years from now, I may be like, oh, that was crazy. But I think we're each, each step, each change is bringing the, our business, our life, everything into more harmony and, and for what we actually want out of our lives. Are there, I guess, how did you figure all this out? Is there some process that you've gone through to, if you made this decision or has it just been following your, your intuition and, and coming back to time and time again, uh, kind of sub, substance over form, which would be the nerdy uh, accounting term for it, but uh, back to sort of this overarching thing you learned in early in university is that uh, it can be pretty, but what's the point if there's no substance? So you can have this big business with lots of employees and, and uh, great partnerships that look really cool and all that is pretty, but if there's no substance, if you're not getting closer to what you want, what what's the point? Does well, it all kind of come back to that or is there some process that you go through? I Before Justin, I'm sure he probably has a process, but the one thing I would want to say to that is there's something as an entrepreneur that's really freeing to know you have the confidence and the skill set to burn it all down and start again if you wanted to. That's what you needed to do. So being able to say this isn't, and not to say you want to burn it all down to the ground, but to say this isn't working, I know I can change this and be okay. And hopefully more than just okay. Like I know I can change this and get closer to what is going to make me happy and fulfilled in my life. To have that confidence in yourself, in your skill set, to know you can make these choices is something that people in a nine to five job with bosses that they report to or work for the government can't always make those choices for themselves with confidence, but that's something we've had the opportunity and um, to really just take advantage of. I think it's, uh, it's just, it's just being really intentional. It's really easy to get sucked into opportunities and, and just look at a situation as like a single situation without realizing like the cascading effect of that decision. And so as, I mean, we've been doing this for, I don't know, 13, 14 years now, like in some capacity. And so hopefully you learn, right, as you're going like, ah, I didn't really like the outcome of that one. I don't think I'm going to do that again. Or I don't like the way that that partnership turned 
into this? Like, how can I set up my next partnership to have really clear expectations at the front end? Or I'm tired of going into meetings and leaving with nothing actionable after 90 minutes. Like, I'm going to be really intentional about my meetings moving forward. Uh, you know, there's, there's that. I don't think there was like a process. Like, we don't, I really think this is, you know, we had two kids. Our priorities changed. Our parents are getting older. And, and we, it was just kind of like a realization, like, what are we doing this for? Right. Like there's, there's, there's a lot of vanity in being an entrepreneur, like a lot. And it's really easy for it to like make your ego feel really special. And, and, uh, and I think there's a, like rigging the game. There's like competition and some people are really competitive and want to win and like show up. I, I don't know if that's us. Like, I think we're, we're literally just like, how can we carve this little thing for us so that we get to drop our kids off at school every day and pick them up so that in the summer we can go camping for a week and like, no one is, no one is upset at us or we don't like, I can, I can book a trip to Copenhagen, you know, three weeks before we go. And I don't like, who cares? Like no one's going to be upset about it. I think it's just being really, really intense. It, it kind of is like substance over style. It's we, uh, as we've gotten older, it's just like the things that used to matter, like don't matter to us at all. And it's gotten, I think also practice getting over that whole mentality of sunk cost. And it's like, I've, I've spent so much time in this that I need to see it through to the end or we've lived, we just bought this house and we've been only living here for two years. I want to, you know, we need to stay here for longer to make it worth it. I'm not sure what worth it would be. I'll use air quotes for that one too. But being able to, to look at a situation and not worry about everything that's come before or what you expected it to be um, when you first started it, but saying, you know, is this working or is this not working and how can we adjust it or change it or stop it or start something new to make it what it needs to be. Yeah, the whole idea of sunk cost, I think, is is uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it's very easy for us to, I, I call it, name the puppy. If you ever go look at a puppy and you give it a name, like that's now your puppy. Yeah, we do that with so many things. We name the puppy on our house that we bought and we remodel. We can name the puppy on businesses and failed partnerships that we just can't can't let go because it's it's ours. Uh, but to what you figured out is, or at least what I'm hearing is continually going back to, to what is the game that you're actually playing. And in your case, winning is being close to family and being able to pick up your kids and to be able to, to go to Copenhagen and all those sort of things. That's winning. And from my perspective, you're on this upward trajectory in my term because you're getting continually closer and closer to that. Like you're winning the game that you're playing. Mm -hmm. while reducing risk. So I look back at maybe the, the, the business you were in before, and I see this with so many businesses where their cash, like their revenues are going up, their profits are going up, and they're actually in a worse position because they've taken on substantially more risk. Their overhead is higher. And to your point with the 18 employees and you getting paid last is that, yeah, at the end of the year, maybe we end up with more, but all of the risks and the leverage that we had to take on to get there made the path much more difficult and much more stressful. Uh, and so in actuality, maybe we had more money at the end of the year, but we were further away from our priorities because there was so much risk and so many kind of variables that happened uh, along, along the way. And uh, the fact that you got uh, clear on what you wanted is really what, again, this show is all, all about, which is uh, let's win the game uh, that we want to pl be playing in and not win somebody else's game. Like, let's set our own rules, which is really what you guys did, and I think it's, it's uh, super inspiring. It's taken us a while. I think, uh, again, it's just – a lot of like the, I'm glad this show exists because a lot of content that's out there is like bigger is better and I want to scale this like the word scale it's it's uh for some people it may be right like my brother right now is in the process of scaling a startup and it is 
uh, in the last year, he's got, you know, 50 something employees. Now he's on his way to a hundred employees and, but that's his game, right? It's not my game. And I think that is, uh, that's exactly like, I'm excited the show exists to, to show people that they can have a business that isn't bigger on paper, right? Isn't, isn't, you know, scaling the way that traditionally content out there implies, but rather is actually serving them as people. Any, uh, uh, parting words that you want to uh, share with folks as we wrap up. I really appreciate you both coming on and sharing your, your story or where would you like people to uh, find you? Well, here's what I'll say uh, as far as the like final words, I think it's really important to look at, at where you're going and making sure that that's the path you want to go on. And so I don't know if that's, you know, quarterly, monthly, weekly, but just making sure like not a gut check, like literally looking at the decisions that you're making and what it's going to mean on a regular basis is uh, there's a lot of magic there. And so just, uh, you know, if you're listening to the show, just take, take a pause and make sure that you're actually going in the direction that you want, not the direction that, you know, others may think is more attractive or others may think is, you know, more impressive, you know, that type of stuff. And I would just say also make sure you've got some good support to help you make the change when change seems hard or when it's uncertain. But if you can see that where your path is taking you is not where you want to want to be, you, you need to make a change somehow. Awesome. Well, really appreciate you both coming on the show and uh, hopefully someday we can do uh, uh, take two or uh, another one of these. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a status one. update. Awesome. Looking forward to that. And thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the Rigging the Game podcast. You can find show notes and much, much more at www.riggingthegame.com. And remember, you get to set the rules for how you play this game of life. So if you make the rules, why not rig the game to win? Thank you.